and welcome to the Middlemen podcast, taking you ringside, pitchside and sharing a unique journalistic perspective on sport. I'm Noah Abrahams. And I'm Max Taylor. Coming up today, we speak to Olympian and Team GB spearhead Galal Yafai. A really insightful talk looking into both the amateur and pro boxing world. Max, back for a second week, the Middlemen podcast. So glad to be back, as I always am. It's been somewhat a difficult week with society and racism and trolling. And we'll get onto that a bit later. A frustrating week for you as a Liverpool fan, though. <laughs> how are you and how do you assess Liverpool's week? Um, yeah, a very turbulent week for me. You know, the, my hopes were up at the start and now they've gone back down at the end. Uh, it's been an absolute emotional roller coaster as it is supporting a football team. So you have to take uh, the good with the bad. Not much good right now, but it is what it is and we just have to move on. <laughs> Well, a somewhat frustrating week for you. I have a quite good one as a Chelsea fan. Thomas Tuchel still unbeaten in charge of the Blues. But we'll talk more about football transfers, Chelsea and Liverpool later. Galau Yafai has had somewhat a frustrating year since the Olympic qualifiers last March. Here's what he had to say. First off, Galau, it's been a massive week for you. You've been made an ambassador for Birmingham 2022 and the Commonwealth Games. So how are you... And how much does it mean to you to be a representative of such a prestigious event in your hometown as well? Well, obviously, it's a massive thing for me. Um, obviously, I've competed in the Commonwealth Games before um, in Australia at the Gold Coast. Uh, obviously, winning gold out there, which was a massive thing for myself. Um, it was one of the things I've always wanted to do. Uh, I managed to do it. And now I was an ambassador for, for Birmingham, um, hosting it in 2022. This was in 2017. Um, I didn't think we would get it, um, and we have. Um, so, yeah, it's something to look forward to, to my home city. Um, I'm born and bred here. Um, all my family are here, my friends. Um, so, yeah, it's something to look forward to. Something extra special that is literally on your doorstep. Literally, I live about 10 minutes away from the NEC, where the boxing is going to be hosted there. So, literally, it's on my doorstep so yeah and and the last time we bumped into each other Glau, was at uh, the qualifiers for the Olympic Games that were meant to happen last summer of course and Max and I were both there how frustrating was it for you having qualified literally probably a few hours before the tournament was completely postponed how, how frustrating was it for you that the games were cooled off and how has it affected the last year for you it was frustrating um, obviously as you can tell a, a year um, has been took away, not just from myself, but for every uh, athlete that was meant to go to Olympic Games. Um, but I'm one of the fortunate ones that got to qualify and got to fight um, because most of the boys and the girls on the team didn't even fight. So yeah. I was I was lucky enough to fight and to qualify. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. It got um, postponed and had to wait another year. Um, but I was content in lockdown knowing I'd done everything to qualify and uh, I could just not put my feet up on rest but I could um, I could settle a little bit and not worry about oh, I've got to go back to the qualifier I've got to qualify um, it's already done um, so yeah so when we re- revisit it just got to fight a few more times to hopefully win that gold medal You've had an easier few months than some of your colleagues so I can imagine actually mentally as an athlete it must be really tough knowing that you've still got to qualify you've still got to make make your way to the games when it all goes back to normal. Yeah, exactly. I know, obviously, I train with the lads and the girls every week and I can imagine the pressure they're under now. Um, 
obviously with the whole Olympic situation and if it's going to happen, if it's not going to happen. And they haven't even qualified yet. Like, I'm sure they will. Um, they're all top fighters in the world, so I'm sure they'll qualify. But it's much better knowing that I've already qualified and I uh, ain't got to worry about my um, about my seat on the plane. And before we talk about things that aren't Olympic related, how much are you looking forward to this summer? Fingers crossed they go ahead. But are you worried as well as looking forward to them that they may also be cancelled? Because that is kind of the rumour at the moment. Yeah, it was a worry for me and it still is. Um, obviously, I've this, this year it's already been wasted for myself. Um, and if it's cancelled again in July, then in July, then it's, in, like, it's nearly another year. So um, I've wasted a lot of time, but I can't... Um, it's out of my control, out of my hands. Um, and it's a situation where it's not just me affected or Team GB, it's the whole world. So I can't be selfish enough to just think... Oh, it's going terribly wrong for myself because everyone's got to su- suffer too. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to look at the positives at the minute because there's a lot of negatives. So, so yeah, again, I'm just looking at the positives at the minute. Galal, given the um, kind of landscape of the Olympics, as you said, being it postponed and that, although you count yourself lucky, you've still been quite an uncertain time. Has it ever tempted you to turn pro a bit sooner since you've had this wait for the Olympics? Has that ever been something that's crossed your mind? It it did cross my mind, but then I'd, I'd had a little thought about it, and I'd, I've worked. Obviously, I went to the last Olympic Games in Rio in 2016. Um, I was pretty new then, pretty young, so I managed to set out my my goal to go to another Olympic Games. Um, and that was it's crazy now. It's nearly five years ago. Um, it's just flew by. So I managed to do it. Um, I got my ticket. I'd worked hard to keep my spot on the team. Um, so I couldn't just give it away. I couldn't just go pro for the sake of one year um, and throw it all throw it all away. Uh, I've worked hard for this spot, uh, and not only beating um, the Russian or beating the qualifier to qualify, I had to stay ahead of the lads on the GB team. Um, they had lads coming through, number two and number threes who were top fighters. So for me to to beat them to the spot and get picked for the qualifier was hard in itself. Um, so I couldn't just give it up and just give it to the the other guy coming through so I had to um, yeah I'm going to have to go through with it and hopefully it pays off Will it be the pro scene that you're looking at as soon as the Olympics is over what's the plan and what's the schedule when you do hopefully you know do your best and succeed in the Olympic Games Yeah definitely uh, I, I, I rather much prefer to be a pro fighter uh, I love I love amateur boxing but I, I love pro boxing more um, I feel like it's more suited to myself Um Obviously, my brother's being pro. It's kind of um, I'm always looking at what they're doing, and I want to kind of be involved. But um, I've got big, uh, big things to try and do at the Olympic Games first. But as soon as the Olympics are done, um, I'll be looking to go pro. Yeah, I was about to touch on your brothers, um, Samal and Kel. It's almost like a family tradition turning pro at this rate. How what's it like having them around and having uh, them as influences? You know, during your amateur journey. Yeah, it, it, it helped me. It's helped me from when I was coming through, when I wasn't even on GB. Um, that helped me from when I was just my first fight to my second fight to my third fight. Um, so, yeah, it's great to have them around because they've done everything I've done. They did it before me. Um, obviously, Cal went to Olympics in 2008 before he even started fighting. Um, so he was doing this a long time ago. Um, so he's given me a lot of advice on the way. Gamal's given me a lot of advice. Um they were actually there when 
I was thinking about going pro and after the qualifier got um sorry, the Olympics got cancelled and they're giving me great advice and um so yeah, they're always there and their and their advice is, is um it's important to me because they've been there and done it. Yeah, speaking of influences, of course, you are in the team GB and their facilities, the people, the coaching, and even the fellow boxers are amazing. The first time I walked in there, saw Joshua Bratzi and just goes to show on a daily basis the kind of characters and personalities you have around the camp. What is it like having those experiences and you know influences on a daily basis and when you go training? Uh, well, Josh Bratzi is probably one of my best mates on the team. Um, before the Olympic Games, he's just a, uh, just an average guy, uh, really humble, down to earth. Um, would share rooms every week. Um, would travel and share rooms when we're away. And then he just went on and, and did an unbelievable thing in the Olympics, and he became a superstar. And it's great to have these people around me because it's something to look forward to um, and look up to. Sorry. So yeah, it's um, it's great. Obviously, with Andy Joshua there as well, it's another another big star. He's probably um, he's probably number one at the minute, number one star at the moment so good to have him around and, and look up to these other fighters and, and even the fighters around with me now um, the other lads and the other girls they're, they're all top fighters too so I try and pick out things that can make me better and um, and yeah it's going well What's your favourite story with uh, either AJ or Josh? Josh Watsi oh there's a few a few not a few bad ones but a few um, we have a lot of banter me and Josh Watsi um, we, sh- we share rooms together now even on camps, um, uh, he snores a lot. To be fair, he probably won't like me telling you, but he snores a lot. But he's just a, he's just a, a good friend, and I speak to him regularly now. Um, Andy Joshua is just Andy Joshua. He's just he's just uh, he's too big time for me now. Is he still as humble as he comes across on TV? Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely humble. He always gives time to everyone. Um, he gives time to pretty much every person in the gym. Um, even people I probably wouldn't give time to not being not being horrible, but some people I probably wouldn't say hi to um, just because I'm I'm quiet on myself. Uh, but yeah, Josh, big Joshua just makes time for literally every person in the gym, from every staff member to every boxer, from the podium to the podium potential, um, literally everyone. So I see why people um, take a liking to him so much. When you make that transition as AJ and Boatsy did into the program. You're going to come in like they did as an amateur success, you know, a multi-titleist. Does that give you any expectation of what's to come in your pro career? Because we see normally the very successful amateurs that come into the pro game, they get a lot of opportunities early, you know, they get signed to bigger promotions early and kind of get those chances, yeah. almost a little bit of a fast track in a sense. Do you have any of those expectations? Kind of, yeah. I expect to be fast tracked. Um, I've been a top amateur now. Thank God I've been a top amateur for the past five, six years. I've fought mm. WSB, which is the World Series Boxing, which is over five rounds against the best fighters in the world. Um, so I've got a kind of a bit of a taste a taste to it. Um, and obviously being as a top amateur, and obviously, thank God I've been to two Olympic Games. Hopefully I can make this one. I can leave some with a nice medal uh, around my neck. Um, been to Commonwealth Games. Um been to European world, so I've got so much experience, which is only going to help me in the long run um, and as a pro. Um, so, yeah, I expect to be fast-tracked maybe, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it and hopefully i take it all in my stride. I spoke to Mike Costello about this, about young boxers at the moment, and we spoke to Liam Williams about it last week on our podcast. 
about the young yeah. guys at the moment who, who can't make that stride because of COVID and they can't train or get, and go to the gym. What would your advice be to them who, who are probably looking at you thinking you're in an incredible position when COVID ends, but it's, re- it's going to be really difficult for us when COVID ends? Advice I would give, I think I think everyone has their time, um, has their time to shine too. There was times when I was, I went on GB and literally no one would bat an eyelid at me. Um, but I think everyone gets their time and I think they just have to stick at it really. I stuck at it and it worked out for me in the end um, as an amateur anyway. But I think I think that's just boxing and not even just boxing, I think life in general. I think you go for ups and downs. Um, I've been for ups and downs in boxing um, and I think most boxers have. So it's not always um, going to be going well. I think you're going to come across bumpy roads and, and things like that. So I think just staying on it and training hard and just keeping staying focused and thinking positive. I think that's a, I think staying positive is a big thing. Speaking of uh, ups and downs, me and Noah obviously cover the weekly stories a lot in as well. And unfortunately, uh, a, a current headline that happens and comes up far too often is the story of racism. I just wanted to ask from your perspective as a boxer, do you have any experiences or know anybody who has experienced the type of racism that in football just comes so often? And do you think boxing as a sport does well to combat it? I think, I think to be fair myself, I haven't really come across any racism. Um, especially on GB, everyone's quite... Uh, a close-knit family um, so I don't think they would tolerate it um, I think the lads I think the lads in boxing are more I don't know if they're more different to box, for football sorry but I think because we travel the world we see so many different cultures different colours different backgrounds different everything so I think we're just a very diverse team um, if you go for our team as I think you've got every race you can you can think um, in England you've got You've got myself, you've got Fraser Clark, Shev Clark, the McCormacks, you've got boxers from Wales, you've got, you know what I mean? So you've got, you've got Scottish, so you've got English, Wales, Scotland all together, you've got all different colours, so, um, and obviously you've got all different sizes too, myself being the smallest and Fraser Clark being the biggest. Um, so yeah, you've got everything in the team, so I haven't had that problem as of yet. Um, I'm sure hopefully it don't happen at any, any time in the future, um, but, I think it's just something that I've been putting myself. I think everyone in GB is just pretty level-headed and just think about the boxing. And I try not to look too much into um, the negative things on social media and things like that. So hopefully it just stays that way. Galau Yafai there speaking about all things uh, the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games uh, and sadly, Max, racism. It, it's been a week fueled with racism and trolling since our last podcast. Before we go on to that topic, thank you to Galau for coming on. <laughs> An absolute star. Uh, what a legend. And uh, we really enjoyed the interview. Let's go on to that, that topic of racism now. And to name just a few of the players racially abused this week, I can think off the top of my head of Rhys James, Marcus Rashford, Romain Sawyers, Anthony Martial, Alex Jankovic. That's five names. And they are the only ones I can think of at the top of my head. There are more. And people seem to think that it's okay to racially abuse a player after a bad performance. And it's mind boggling. You know, we're not in the 80s. We're not in the 90s. We are well into the 21st century in the modern era where, you know what, when, especially now, when we came into COVID, I thought at least when we come out of this pandemic, we're, we're going to be better as a society. 
and, and I thought in the first lockdown, and maybe in the second, that's the way we, we were heading. Um, but it's not even just in sport now, this trolling. I mean, Captain Sir Tom Moore, who very sadly passed away this week, and uh, what an absolute hero he was, received vile messages and trolling right up until uh, the moment he passed away. And, and to me, society, like Rashford says uh, and has said this week, is that it's very worst at the moment when racism strikes and when icons like Tom Moore are being trolled. Uh, what have you made of the past seven days since our last podcast, Max? And uh, what are your opinions on, on the way the week has been? Well, I think every time the middlemen speak, uh, racism always comes into it always comes in as a topic, at least at one point. And here it is again. It's awful the way it is. And you spoke about we're well into the 21st century, not in the 80s uh, or the 70s. It shouldn't have been acceptable then. It's not acceptable now, but it still happens. And it seems to be the focal point of why it's happening now is because of online. I think we're in for us as journalists, it's fantastic. You know, we're able to get these stars on the podcast because we have um because social media exists, we there's expanding technology in society. That's fantastic. But what it does is allows for trolls and allows for racists to be at their worst. Um, it shouldn't be tolerated. And I think social media platforms need to come down hard on it. I know you listed a lot of different football players there with their own different uh, racial situations. I'm most familiar with Reese James's and he got uh, racially abused through Instagram DMs. And that just tells me there needs to be something on Instagram side that can come down hard on these people. Otherwise, they they have a voice and they have a platform to target these people that don't deserve targeting. There's no reason why they, they didn't warrant abuse. They shouldn't ever warrant abuse for the colour of their skin ever um and so instagram needs to find a way to put into their algorithm to come down punish them give them consequences because that's that's what's tempting for these trolls you know even the people as you said slandering uh an icon a hero that tom moore is because they have a platform and a voice to do so they can do it and and they know they're allowed and it's tempting because they can do it almost almost anonymously and pretty much get away with it so i think we do need to see change. You're right about how we came out of the pandemic and there were probably expectations that we sh- we could have been better having survived the pandemic as a society. We should have, um, but it hasn't been that way. So as a society, we need to unite together and come down on the people that are just making us look like terrible people. Well, here are the numbers for it. During the final six weeks of last season, a study identified that more than 56% of 3,000 explicitly abusive messages aimed at Premier League players were racist. And it hurts people to the core. You've got these people behind a keyboard and it's not face-to-face. And I don't know what goes through their heads. They need help, whatever does go through their heads. And they sit there behind the laptops and they don't think about how much it impacts someone. Um, and so many people this week in sport have spoken out about it. I'm going to go. I'm going to start with uh, Adi uh, Oladipo, who who we both bumped into last year at the Olympic qualifiers, where Galau qualified for the Tokyo Games. Uh, so uh, Adi on Talksport this week said that people have been calling him a monkey. It's got to stop. And you're right. There, there has got to be an element of accountability where if you're going to racially abuse someone, you've got to be outed for it. And 
Mika Richards this week, and this is interesting, spoke about a subtle racism in this country. And I think that that is definitely the case. And there's there's too much racism that's brushed off too easily and as a joker, a bit of banter. And that's got to stop as well. And, you know, like you said, Max, it, it seems like every week we're talking about it. But this week, it's the worst I've seen in a long time. I've, I've had enough. Everyone's had enough. Ian Wright said that we have to expect racism now. And surely it's not something we have to expect. It has to stop. The chairman of Kick It Out, Sanjay Bandari, said recently that it's not just a social media problem. It's a societal problem. And of course, that is certainly the case. How do we fix it? Well, there there are a lot of aspects and a lot of avenues you can go down to improve ways that it is being combated because obviously, you know, not enough is being done right now. And I think... I, I can understand what's being said there about how it's not a social media problem. It is a societal problem. But most of, if not all of society, well, our Western society, at least, is on social media. And that is where a lot of the players do get their hatred. OK, given um, they go into football stadiums and fans are back in there, uh, given that hypothesis, because that's not even happening right now, that it comes from there as well. But social media i think plays a massive part in it so i think if if we can all come together find a way you know people influential people movers and shakers of social media and people who use it you know influencers for example if they can come down unite and tackle this problem i think yeah okay it won't eradicate racism obviously but there needs to be baby steps with it and i think doing that will be a baby step and we can at least you know grasp some kind of light at the end of this disgusting tunnel it, it is disgusting what's going on in the world at the moment i, I suppose it's always gone on but uh, what's coming to light again uh, now and unfortunately whilst i'd say probably 90 percent of the problem occurs on social media obviously fans can't go to games so we don't we don't need to focus on on racism in person i'm sure it still takes place but w- with this pandemic it's it's now more on social media there was an incident this week shifted on social media it has shifted yeah and there was an incident this week where it wasn't just on social media it was in a newspaper a national newspaper in a scottish national newspaper this week an experienced journalist attacked and certainly targeted football presenter flex we know flex as a huge man united fan as a football presenter who who has made a living from talking football. It's what we want to do. And I think he's very good at his job. As a journalist, we have a responsibility to do what's right. And of course, we're allowed an opinion. Um, but there's having an opinion and there's being racist. And it's like the subtle racism Mika Richards touched on. I'm not even sure this is so subtle. Uh, it was in a Scottish national newspaper and Flex was targeted essentially uh, for being a black man on television. And, and, like we've said a few times in this podcast today it's disgusting yeah i to be honest you know this this guy could be uh the best sports reporter in scotland i don't care quite frankly um if he has that behavior and has those views of somebody shouldn't shouldn't be given a platform to to speak about these things he's he's given i'm i'm looking at this instagram picture here um, and this is what Flex actually posted. This guy has a whole back page to himself to speak whatever he wants. And for somebody who has, you know, what has actually been expressed as subtle racist thoughts in a, in a newspaper, 
I don't know how he's given so much freedom to express his, his thoughts. It's, it, it bewilders me. But yeah, he, he has a column where he, targeted, he targets Flex um, way too much than he has to be. He, he speaks of Flex like uh, he's, he's somebody who has no... Uh, no right to be there. No, yeah, honestly. So he talks about him being on the transfer show and acts like he doesn't even have the right or deserves to be there. And with and this guy is talking about somebody who has fifty thousand followers on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. Sorry, I'd be very interested to see how many followers Bill Lecky has. Um, he's he's not and, even on Twitter, by the way. The the, the journalist uh, I. I was was curious and so um i wanted to see the reaction on twitter and he's not even on twitter yeah and uh, that's probably for the best to be honest given what he's producing this column about flex um you know he, he's he's somebody who's adapted to the times of social media he's very influential so they've brought him onto the show and he gets he gets targeted and outed for what so he says here no harm to the dude but he has no news to break on potential transfers We all have an opinion. We all have the right to an opinion. He's been invited to give his views on potential transfers. So so I do not understand why he's he's being targeted. And that's why we talk about subtle racism. Other than, you know, him him being a black man, being on a transfer show. I don't know what this journalist has against him. Because what I see is just another man doing his job and being targeted about it for no reason. And that's what this is what the problem is for racism. And that's why you see it with footballers. They're not provoking it. They're, you know, it can't, it can't even be provoked. They're going to do their job and get unwarranted, unprovoked, unnecessary uh, abuse. And it needs to stop. And it should stop there. I think the Sun needs to take action against this guy. It, it does need to stop. And we have a responsibility as journalists. We have, we're very privileged to have a platform as journalists. And I think we t- we've touched on it before. It's how you, you use that platform. And uh, we will use our podcast to get rid of as much racism as we possibly possibly can and spread the message of respect. And as we grow and as our audience grows with the guests we get on, we will continue. Uh, we will continue to fight racism and we won't stop. And uh, neither should anyone. No one should stop. The Black Pundit should keep on going. And uh, there was a question put to Clinton Morrison on Sky Sports. Uh, should black pundits just step down temporarily of course not that's not the answer the answer is we fight against this and we get rid of discrimination it's a horrible thing and um, it's very difficult and i understand with with two white chaps and we've never experienced racism i've experienced some abuse being jewish but it's difficult however everyone has everyone has the power to stop racism and we need to work harder as a society uh, to push for change let's go back onto the football and uh, talk <laughs> well i'm not sure it's any more positive for you max Let, no. let's talk <laughs> let's talk liverpool uh, uh, they failed to score in the last three consecutive home games you lost to brighton 1-0 at anfield on wednesday night it was Brighton's first league win against Liverpool since 1982. Back-to-back home defeats for Liverpool for the first time in almost nine years. Uh, against Brighton, I thought, Max, you lacked identity. Uh, you looked pedestrian. You left it too late in the day to bring the game to them. You're obviously really missing Mane. And I know you want to talk about the attack as well as defenders. So we, before we go on to the signings you made in the transfer window, let's just talk about the situation you're in at the moment. There wasn't that fear factor against Brighton that Liverpool had the whole of last season where they'd win the game in the dressing room before they even got on the pitch. They were in the opponent's head. 
you're not winning games in the tunnel. Liverpool legend Mark Lawrenson said that Liverpool looked like a bunch of strangers against Brighton. How do you how do you assess Liverpool at the moment as a diehard Liverpool fan? Um, it it is a tough one. Obviously, you have to cut them some slack for how for the the performances over the past three years that they've been turning out. But it is just not shouldn't be tolerated at Anfield that type, those type of results. I mean, it just shows the rapid decline that the team has faced, uh, going almost unbeaten at home for four years to facing back to back home defeats. But I called it in in the first episode. If you can remember, I said, look. Brighton, a, a team that are fighting at the bottom, they have nothing to lose and they're going to be a dangerous team to face. They're going to come at it completely. And that's what they did. We almost let them walk over us. Obviously, it wasn't necessarily a dominant win. It was only a 1-0. And these, these are the little games that Liverpool have been struggling with. Obviously, the other home defeat was was another 1-0. And it's just, it's a bit tough, really. You know, it, it shows that defensively, only two goals in two games. Yeah, you, you look at, if you look at two losses in the past two games, you think, oh, that's bad. They're probably having a bit of a mare defensively. But it, we've only conceded two goals. It's not, it's not a, you know, a, a crisis by any means. So, what, as I said, what we need to be looking at is the top. Because in those two games, haven't scored one. Oh, how, how many did you say? Three. It's, it's almost been three, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Liverpool failed to score in the last three consecutive home games. Exactly. That's shocking. And that that's another thing that needs changing. We've brought in... Obviously, we're going to move on to Davis and Kabak soon, but there should have been some kind of assessment at the top. It's hard. Obviously, we're missing Mane, missing Yotta as well. Uh, I think, obviously, he came in with that attacking spark and was looked like he could really build on our success of last season. But obviously, we've been without him. We've been struck with injuries. We can't use that as an excuse. Yeah. As, you know, the best teams need squad depth. Um, and it's been a real challenge, but you can't let that, you can't let that beat a team uh, as good as us or what is meant to be as good as Liverpool anyway. It's very easy, easy to say that Liverpool missing Mane and it's, it's like with Tottenham, they're missing Harry Kane. But then you look yeah. at Man City who, who are on one of the most remarkable runs in Premier League history at the moment. And mm. uh, they're missing Sergio Aguero. Kevin De Bruyne is injured. They're, they're top of the league. At the moment, it looks like the title is theirs. So is it really an excuse that Mane's gone? I mean, you're right. It should really have been that Liverpool signed some attackers in the transfer window. So let's go on to the transfer window for Liverpool before we move on to Chelsea. Um, On Saturday last week, I not only watched Ben Davies, but walked right past him as Preston North End lost 1-0 to Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. A great signing for Liverpool, Max, a much-needed six-foot-one centre-back. He's come in following injuries to Van Dijk, John Matip, Gomez. Um, there's been 11 different centre-back combinations this season. Finally, now, you've got a permanent one, a permanent centre-back. Uh, you could have signed Makano from Leipzig, Alaba, Mustafi, Kalasnach, Socrates. The list really does go on. Um, but you've gone for a promising-looking 24-year-old with special awareness, uh, 250 career appearances under his belt, plenty of room into being moulded into a technical Jurgen Klopp, a left-sided player. Are you happy with Ben Davies? Not the Spurs left-back, but an exciting-looking <laughs> centre-half who can play out from the back and use his full-backs as well, Max. Well, uh, yeah, I am excited, just to <laughs> clear that little remark up. That's what I got mistaken with, because this guy was, as, as we were discussing, you know, in the Premier League landscape, was pretty much unknown until we signed him. That's OK. I think he's really going to build himself up. Now, 
obviously in the pre- uh, in the championship he, he was well known i think he's a great defender as you said he's got those fundamentals and he's got the potential for Klopp to to build him up into a real uh, attacking stopper you know this guy he, i feel like he's got great physical presence as you said 6-1 that's like the perfect kind of uh, height you need as a center back even you know i wouldn't complain if he was any taller either but yeah, the, the potential's there and I have full faith in club. You know, you've seen what he's done to um, some of our players over the years, what he's produced with a lot of them, the progression that they've uh, had. I really think that he can be another subject to that and I'm all for it. And you've also signed uh, another defender, uh, Ozan Kabak from Schalke on an initial six-month loan deal with an option to buy in the summer. 20 years old, a Turkey international, was on Liverpool's radar last summer. You finally signed him for the rest of the season. Are you happy with Kabak? Another defensive option, but again, a player that is a great snatch from Schalke. Yeah, I think this is the one that it seems to be, the uh, Kabak seems to be the one that fans are more excited about and the most excited about. Let's be real, either of those guys are not going to be a Van Dijk replacement. We know that, we know that, we knew that with anyone that was going to be signed. That's okay because, you know, these guys are going to take time. I know, obviously, having Kabak on loan means that Klopp doesn't have the necessary time with him to kind of build him up like I said uh, Klopp could do with Ben Davis. But I think he has the experience. And if you look at how Schalke were doing, I believe they were struggling very much in the Bundesliga. Like they were down bad, Schalke were. So, and and you could look at, you could take that uh, in two ways. The first one, you could say, oh, well, he's just with a bad team. He's not changing anything for the team. And, you know, they're conceding loads of goals. He must be horrible. Or you can look at the positive there and say, well, for a guy to be staying uh, with that team and, and carry on, obviously he's left now for a loan, but to, to stay in there and still try and put a shift in week in, loyal. week out, that's, that's loyal, that's resilience. And that's exactly, those are the two things that are needed um, at the back right now. We need someone who's going to fight to the death and, and really defend for the team for full 90 minutes. And then we'll stop seeing um, shock well, I say shock upsets. They're not too shocking anymore, given our lack of creativity and our lacklustre performances at the back. I really feel like um, Kabak can come in and change that. I think it's just a bad patch for Liverpool at the moment. You've got, you have now got two uh, pretty strong defensive options that have, have joined your squad. And uh, I don't think, like we said last week, it's, it's right that Liverpool fans are calling for Klopp's head. I think they've got to have a bit, a bit of a reality check and, and look back at the last few seasons. Let's move on to Chelsea. I'm like you. I was astonished that Chelsea didn't buy an attacker in this window. We really need an out-and-out striker who can score goals every single week, who's a world-class player, and we didn't sign anyone of the sort. Instead, Two players leave Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea's longest-serving player, Lucas Piazzon, agreed to deal with Braga. 26-year-old, signed a four-year contract with the Portuguese side. Um, but that's not the astonishing thing. The astonishing thing, <laughs> Piazzon made just one substitute appearance in the Premier League during his decade-long stint. And, and the Brazilian, almost all of the time, was out on loan with seven clubs in six different countries uh, in the last 10 years. Piazzon became part of the furniture, uh, albeit unused, at Chelsea. And he joined the Blues in 2011. He went on to play in two League Cup games the following season before coming off the bench for one sole appearance in the Premier League in which he had a late penalty saved 
during an 8-0 thrashing of Aston Villa. Um, he helped Reading and Fulham earn promotion to the Premier League via the playoffs whilst out on loan, but he was unfortunately never quite a star player in England. Uh, I wish him all the best in Portugal. Uh, sad to see, not a club legend, but someone who's been in the club <laughs> go after such a long time. Uh, but look, we wish him all the best and I'm happy he signed a four-year deal. Finally, he can uh, settle somewhere and uh, I think Portugal is probably the right place for him to do just that. And Chelsea's 23-year-old defender, uh, Fakayo Tamora, joined AC Milan on loan until the end of the season last week with a 26 million option to buy included as part of the switch to the San Siro. Uh, Tamori says that there's more to football than the Premier League. I think Lucas Piazzon would agree with that. Is he right, <laughs> Max, that there's more to football than just English football? Uh, for sure. And I think 23 is a perfect age to experience that and broaden his horizons, get fantastic experience. You're going to have, uh, he's, he's going to have, great learning at AC Milan at the San Siro. Uh, I think it's a fantastic place for him to learn. Seeing him in the Premier League uh, last season, really liked him. Obviously, everyone knows him for his speed. He's fast, he's strong. Uh, he's, he's got what it takes to come back to the Premier League after this spell. Um, and really bolster the, the Chelsea defence. Obviously, you know, as a centre-half, it's hard to kind of cut it into the first team, given how strong your defence is now. Um with Zuma and Silva, I can I would take them uh, every day of the week, twice on a Sunday. But Tomori can really build himself into a strong um, a strong defender that will really challenge for the starting eleven and give Tuchel some things to think about. Yeah, we'll miss him. He's he's already played in the Milan derby uh, during the Coppa Italia quarterfinal, and his stats are incredible out there in Milan. And you're right, he's going to learn a different style of play. He'll increase his skill set, learn new languages. Um, against Bologna, here are some stats. Tamori, in 90 minutes, made four clearances, three tackles, three interceptions, won four out of five aerial battles, won three out of four duels on the ground, and his passing accuracy was 89.7%. And whilst I think, you're right, Chelsea is spoilt for choice at centre-back, at the back with Rhys James, Ben Chilwell... As for the Quetta, Alonso, Zuma, Christensen, who's back fit, and uh, Rudiger. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope we get Tamori back in southwest London because I think he'd be a waste out there. And look, obviously, he's a great asset to, to Milan, but I think it would be a waste of talent that Chelsea never quite got the best out of if we let him stay there. Um, but a great player. I wish him well for the rest of the season, and I'm sure he'll learn. and adapt to the Syria and hopefully he comes back if he does and is a new star under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, he, he was another one of those uh, young lads that kind of came up. He, he, was, he a, was he with Lampard at Derby? He was. He was. He was with yeah. Lampard at Derby uh, and came through to Chelsea, played, played quite a bit under Lampard, but not as much as I think he would have hoped to. Uh, not, yeah. not as much as someone like Mason Mount who... Obviously, Lampard loved and uh, the whole football world seems to love. But um, I, I, I don't blame him. He's a fa- fantastic and unbelievable footballer at such a young age. But yeah, uh, I think he adapted well to Chelsea. He'll adapt well in Italy. And uh, with Chelsea at the moment, three games under Tuchel so far. Too early to judge him, in my opinion, because you're, you're always going to get that new manager bounce. But three clean sheets, seven points from nine. Handed Jose Mourinho <laughs> last night a successive home league defeat for the first time in his managerial career. 
And I love when Chelsea play wing backs. It's very Conte y, and I, I love it when the full backs overlap. And I thought we moved the ball very well. So, as a Chelsea fan, I was sad to see uh, Foucault, Tamore go to AC Milan. In general, very happy. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good move uh, for him. And I, I brought up him playing at Derby with Lampard because, as you listed Mount as well, there was a, a few of those guys um, and the Chelsea youth that just are so promising. And I think they're just really going to grow into themselves to be some next big stars in the coming five years. Uh, so I think we'll see Tomori fit into that role as well and that demographic. I hope so. Well, that probably brings us to the end of our Middlemen podcast, episode two. Uh, another great episode. And thank you again to Galau for joining us for an interview. Great fun to speak to him about Josh Boazzi's snoring. Um, <laughs> and there, there were some more serious points this week with the racism and the trolling that's gone on. Um, but I think it's important to address them. They're not fun to talk about, but sometimes in journalism and in our jobs, like I said, we have the platform and I think we should really use it. But thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. You can listen back to last week's episode with, with Liam Williams and uh, a special guest uh, on episode three. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back uh, just as good next week with some more star guests. So stay tuned for that and we'll see you then.